Today on Sagittarian Matters, urban foraging, the racist origin of trespassing laws, ethical consumption, lifelong learners with cautious curiosity, and more. With my guest, Alexis Nicole Nelson, also known as the Black Forager. Stay tuned. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters, what's the Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Los Angeles, California. Friends, last week I had the true honor and privilege of Zooming with Alexis Nicole Nelson. I have been following her all of pandemic on Instagram and on TikTok where she is known as the Black Forager. What a treat! If you're not familiar with her work, Make haste. Run, don't walk to your nearest laptop or phone or tablet or whatever and look up her videos on Instagram or TikTok explaining the what, how, and why of foraging. She's always adorned in something remarkable. She's often singing a song and providing incisive commentary as she picks berries, grabs greens, touches bark, picks acorns, soaks things, boils things, grinds things, and turns them into delicious treats that then she tells us all about. Just to set the scene, when we zoomed, I want you to know that Alexis was wearing a very lovely pink fringed jacket. We had pre-planned to both wear outfits from Fashion Brand Company, which is a real cuckoo bananas fashion label in Los Angeles run by this woman named Penelope Gazin. Alexis and I both knew that we were fans of hers, and so I wore a striped beret with a matching two-piece outfit, and producer Panya was wearing a striped beret as well. Anyway, this is what was happening while we were talking to each other. I want to say that though I awkwardly started off with a foraging fail by telling Alexis about the time my friends Harry and the Potters fed me poison horse chestnuts by mistake, I want you to know Alexis went on to give us so many foraging wins. She shared so much information with the podcast about things that are edible, even for beginners. She included their Latin names, and she emphasized the value of extensive research behind anything you forage and put in your mouth. Extensive research is what I was missing when I was gagging on a horse chestnut. So listeners, please enjoy our interview and please be inspired like me and do go start munching from your backyard, but be safe. I think I could speak for all of us when I say I want you to be safe. Be like Alexis. Do lots of research. Do not be like me, even though I'm learning. So without further ado, I present my talk with new friend to the show, Alexis Nicole. Enjoy. Alexis Nicole Nelson is a lifelong forager, an environmental science enthusiast, and someone who you may know from TikTok and Instagram as the Black Forager. You can find Alexis, her recipes, and more, plus support her work at patreon.com slash blackforager. Now, please enjoy my talk with new friend to the show, Alexis Nicole Nelson. Alexis, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Hello, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so 
happy to talk to you. I feel like we have almost too many things that we could talk about. I know. Like if we, if this was allowed to be a three hour episode, oh my goodness, the places we would go. We have so much to talk about. We have a lot of listener questions. We have questions from friends to the show, Beth Ditto and Morgan. But before we get to that, we need to start at the very, very beginning, which was a question on people's minds. Mm -hmm. You began foraging at a young age. Yes. How did you begin foraging? So my mother, who is wonderful, uh, has been like a really cool highfalutin businesswoman since uh, before I was born. Her way to decompress between long weeks at work, even now, is gardening. So growing up, if I wanted to hang out with mom on the weekends, I would probably have to be outside, usually with a trowel in hand. I'm not saying I was helping with the trowel, um, but I was feeling included. And that's nice. Uh, So my mom used to quiz me on the plants. Like starting at a pretty young age used to be like, oh, okay, I taught you this one last week. Do you remember what it is? And I'd be like, echinacea. She'd be like, oh yes, very good. Um, So she kind of put the, the, she kind of turned the, the wheels, put it in motion, like in my brain, starting to identify plants. And every once in a while she would pull up a weed, the one that always Uh, comes to mind. And the one I remember most clearly is onion grass, uh, which I now know is field garlic, allium vanelli. And she was like, here, pull it up. You see how it looks different than the other grass? Give it a sniff. And, you know, it smells super garlicky. And she's like, yeah, and you can cook with it too. And something about that part, (laughs) the you didn't put it here on purpose, but it's useful. And it got here all on its own that just a light bulb went off in my head and it never went back out. And so you, you educated yourself, you're self-educated through Mm -hmm. just books and books and books and books. And -hmm. also you have an interest in science. Yeah. um, I, I've always loved science. I've always loved biology and botany. I went to uh, a kind of now I see quirky elementary school. We were like taking intro level bio and botany classes starting in like the first grade all the way through sixth grade. Um, which I'm like, yeah, every, every school should be doing that. If I can memorize, you know, all of the kingdoms and uh, any kid, kid can, like, honestly. So, but most of it has been self-taught. You know, I've learned a couple things in school and I took my fair share of like math and science classes and university as well. Um, but when it comes to IDing, yeah, that's like the question I get the most. It's like, what class do I take? to just like be able to list all of these things off the top of my head. And honestly, the best class is getting outside with someone who's knowledgeable or just like hunkering down and learning it yourself. Oh my God. How much do I wish that I was in Ohio right now, walking around anywhere, literally anywhere with you? Please come visit. We can go on walks and I can stop every 30 seconds and point out another plant. I grew up in Florida and then Kansas, and then I moved from Kansas and Missouri to Portland, Oregon, and now I live between Portland and LA, which have very different climates. Um, Oh, yeah. So for me, I would have to get, I guess, different books, different books to talk about the different climates. But currently, like a lot of people, I am getting obsessed with mushrooms. 
And people around me have oh, always yeah. foraged for mushrooms, but I've always been afraid because I don't have an eye for detail. And I fear poisoning myself, which would be the way that I would go. And with mushrooms, uh, there are a couple more boxes that you have to check when it comes to IDing them as opposed to plants, um, because you can have two mushrooms that visually look extraordinarily similar. Um, and maybe the only way to tell them apart is a spore print. Maybe the only way to tell them apart is like looking under a microscope and seeing the shape of their spores. Like it's Ooh. wild, uh, the amount of variation you have. And just within certain genuses with mushrooms, some of them will be choice edibles and some of them will be very dangerous and bad for you. And I feel bad because so many times people will be like, okay, so like, what's the secret to knowing that a mushroom is edible? Like, what's the one rule that I need to know that like, <laughs> if I check that box, I can put that shroom into my face. And the answer I hate having to give to people, but I give it to them because it's true, is you just have to learn the mushrooms mushroom by mushroom. I wish we all demanded to be known as well and as deeply as fungi do. It would be a really good life skill to take on, uh, but you really do just have to learn them individually. Um, and it's time consuming, but it is worthwhile. I myself was never into fungi as a kid. Uh, mushrooms kind of scared me as a child and it's only now in adulthood that I started learning more about them and kind of really started diving into IDing. And for anyone who's overwhelmed, IDing is kind of like any hobby that you're doing, like playing a musical instrument. You're gonna be kind of bad at it first. Uh, you get better. And the more you do it, the faster you get at it and the faster you get at retaining the information. Uh, so don't, don't worry, but also don't put things in your mouth unless you are 100% confident about what they are. I feel like I have to ta tag that onto everything that I say. Listen I to do. this, but also don't hurt yourself. Well, I, I, I kind of feel like as you were saying that you, you know, you had this lifelong education with your mom quizzing you. I feel a little bit like you're raising a generation of foragers, like people just following your TikTok being like, this sounds like such a great idea. I have all this extra time and this person's teaching me things I didn't know that are around me and giving me the Latin name and telling me what to do with it. And I'm getting like a little song that's, you know, like one of those shows that we would watch growing up um, where you get to like memorize it by remembering a song. Yeah, and I, okay, I loved those growing up. Like that's how I memorized all of the state capitals. That's how I memorized all of the presidents in order. There was always a song. So <laughs> it makes sense that that's now my favorite way to teach other people because I sing songs to myself to remember things constantly. This is our, I think Schoolhouse Rock is a little older generation than I am, like by not very much, but I feel like it's very mm -hmm. Schoolhouse Rock. Like I yeah. could be like walking around, like listening to like a mushroom spore print song. <laughs> I should do a mushroom spore print song. That's an amazing idea. Nicole, I hope you don't mind if I borrow that idea from you. Take it, take it, run with it, go all the way down the field with it. I have to tell you one story about me almost poisoning myself with horse chestnuts. <gasps> no, <laughs> Buckeyes, they're the symbol of our state and they are dangerous. <laughs> Well, I had some friends 
I had some friends in a band come through town. And I say this to say that they were in town for one night and then they left. And one while they were in town, we went for a walk. And at the park, they were like, oh, my God, we grew up as urban foragers. Look, it's chestnuts, chestnuts, chestnuts. And we got so wet. There's so many. Oh, look at nobody cares about them. Can you believe it? And we took them home. And I just had no knowledge. There was no Googling of this. There was no books. And I was like, you guys, I have a fireplace. What if we make chestnuts roasted over an open fire? And so I just threw them on a cookie sheet and just shoved them in the fireplace. And then my friends had to leave eventually because they were taking forever. And finally, I went to eat one. And nature symbol, don't eat this, occurred, which was this tastes like crap. This yeah. tastes like noxious, not for you. Stop it. So I tasted one and I was like, this, we didn't do a good job. They called me two hours later and were like, Nicole, those were horse chestnuts. Don't eat them. They're very, they're very dangerous. So I want to say, I appreciate your TikToks because I'm realizing how little process we went through to actually <laughs> like finding something on the ground and putting it in our mouths. And then actually like there's certain things you have to soak for a long time, like acorns yeah. Yeah. or grind, or you can only use a part of them. Like I can't just pick up everything I see as I go down the street and just take a bite out of it, which I also did with a rose hip once and found a worm inside. So <gasps> oh, <this> no. <laughs> I'm like, I'm a little bit like if you like met a toddler who was like, can I try urban foraging? <laughs> and I just started grabbing things and putting them in my mouth. That's who you're talking to right now. So I appreciate your educational elements. Thank you for sharing this information with us. Thank you. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you are well. I'm glad that you are okay. I'm glad that your taste buds were like, actually, this was incorrect. And that's okay, because life is about learning. <laughs> it is about learning. And I just, I just, I gained so much by being like, you know what? There's actually steps to this. There's actually knowledge behind this. It's not a real, just wing it. Like, I'm not, like, I can't just go act like a beaver and, like, grab a log and start, like, gah, 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 gah. necessarily. <laughs> necessarily. There are some plants, um, there are some plants you can do that with. But, yeah, certainly, certainly not all of them. I do remember the Buckeyes from Ohio. Also, I saw a video that you did about hedge apples, which we had a lot of in Kansas. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, that's hedge apple country, you know, bow dark trees. So many if, of them in that area. If people haven't seen them, it's green and it's bumpy. The whole thing is bumpy. Yes. Almost like, like a frog. Yeah. Um, like if you took an orange and you sent it to go on vacation on an alien planet uh, and then also spray painted it green and zapped it with a laser that made it like two times the size. That is that is an Osage orange. Uh, I'm just gonna say the scientific name because people will get into like fist fights in my comments about what they are called. It is Maclura pomifera. <laughs> Who are these commenters? I love them. I mean, I do too, except for when they start getting really mad at each other. And I'm like, hey, colloquialisms exist. We can all have regional names for things. They're so heavy. I cannot so tell. Heavy. They're like 4,000 pounds. They're like, it's like a, the heaviest apple you've ever picked up. Or it's like an apple with like a hard, heavy, sh heavy crust on it. Yeah, I, uh, I have to be careful when I'm gathering them from the tree a block away from me um, because it's not fun having one of them fall on you. I remember as a kid being like, what? These, these are always in my way. You can't even eat them and they're dangerous. And now I know I, I could have been roasting. Up, yeah, exactly. And I mean, growing up, my elementary school had an Osage orange tree and we also didn't know you could eat them. We would just like puncture them and use the latex sap to like glue things <gasps> really? to our tree forts. 
Um, so that was the use that I grew up with. And, and one of my friends who had a latex allergy, we just have to stay far away from them at all times. And it wasn't until I was like, you know, just because of the other plants that this plant is closely related to, like breadfruit, I feel like there has to be a use. So, oh God, I went down a rabbit hole this past fall. I read a lot of people's dissertations. Uh, I found new internet friends because there is a, a gentleman who's from Ohio and is now uh, doing higher ed things in New York who makes wine out of Osage oranges mm -hmm. each year. And I was just like, pardon, excuse me? Hello. Um, I wish I had talked to him before the first time I tried to make jelly with them uh, because I did not try to leach the latex out at all. And it, uh, it was delicious. I only tried a little bit, but then it just like made my mouth feel like I ate a spicy pepper for about 20 minutes after. Oh, wow. Do you have, kind of, do you have, I think that you may have a knowledge set that I don't, you have, an, you have an understanding of like, okay, the food that I find is going to have to go through some processes for it to be edible. I feel like you mm -hmm. have a knowledge set that I kind of take for granted. That's like the extra steps of like this thing, I need to leach out the tannins. I need to leach out this. I need to get rid of this to make it usable. Do you have any kind of rules of thumbs for when you bring a new thing home of how you're going to process it before you attempt including it in your meal? Well, for starters, I usually will do a lot of research about something new that I haven't tried before. Um, sometimes that is doing a deep dive on Instagram and seeing if any of the other members of the foraging community have used it before and the ways that they're using it. Um, sometimes it is diving deep into academia um, as ethnobotany is becoming uh, much more studied in higher education. It's starting to become easier to find some of those sources out and about, and a lot of them are very accessible online. Um, sometimes it's, you know, thumbing through one of my hundreds of books and seeing if any of them, you know, underneath the identification have any suggestions, but it also very much depends on what it is that I'm bringing home. Like for an edible mushroom, you can never, like you should never eat raw wild mushrooms. Uh, so if for anyone who didn't know, never eat a raw wild mushroom. So I know for any time I bring those home, baseline is they're getting heated in some sort of way before they are making their way to my mouth in, in any form. And maybe that's a dry fry. Uh, maybe that is simmering in like jerky marinade at a rolling boil, you know, for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, just knowing, okay, I know I have to check this box first and then we carry on. When I'm bringing things like greens home, it's like, oh, well, <laughs> because I don't wanna eat a bug by accident, it's definitely getting like a Dunkin' warm salty water first and then a Dunkin' you know, regular fresh water to get the salt off of it before it makes its way into say the food processor for pesto or anything like that. And I mean, additionally, when trying new foods, you wanna make sure you're not secretly allergic to it. So a lot of times I'll just do like a skin patch test, you know? rub a little bit of it on the skin on the inside of your wrist, which is pretty delicate. You know, if you have a reaction, don't eat it. Don't, don't eat it. Uh, it happens to the best of us. I'm allergic to bananas. We, a lot of us have things we can't eat. Today's episode is brought to you by Emily Helmus, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Herod, and Joey Soloway. If you 
would like to support Sagittarian Matters. In particular, producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. Or, this just in, he's got a Venmo. It's Hell Books on Venmo. H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Does your mom eat a lot of foraged food, or does she like, whoa, you took this education I gave you, and you ran with it? The second thing you said. <laughs> she's like, wow, I didn't think you'd take it this seriously. I'm really impressed. That is exactly what she says. And she's like, you you are able to go to the grocery store. I just want to remind you that that's doable. And I'm like, yeah, but that's like so much less fun. And, you know, this is, it's cost effective and it keeps me on my toes in the kitchen and it varies my diet throughout the year. Like it's so much more exciting this way. Another reason I think you've brought a lot of joy this year is that exact thing. Like grocery shopping went from being a simple pleasure to like a harrowing experience, like a supermarket sweep gauntlet with like, and when I was in LA, it was just like influencers and people with children just doubling back, not following the rules and me just being like six feet, six feet, like just (laughs) a wild woman. Yeah. Just like wanting to take a measuring stick with me to the grocery store to be like, get away. Yeah, I'm like, um, get away. Or then like, and then getting out of the supermarket sweep and realizing that like some of the stuff I got was weird or like mm-hmm. secretly wasn't vegan. And then you're like, well, here we are. Here's what I have. So the idea of instead of like wearing a hazmat suit, running through the grocery store like a bullet and instead getting to walk around my neighborhood in like some, some places not, not often tread to like Mm -hmm. sniff around and really focus on the things around me, which I think is also interesting because, you know, TikTok and that kind of thing, you know, it's one of those things that I could just stay glued to and feel like I lost my whole life. However, (laughs) you're encouraging people to go out and actually pay attention to the world around them, which I think is so valuable right now. Oh, shucks. I mean, it's the only, I mean, that's what kept me sane last year. And like you mentioned, like there was something very, serene about especially back in the spring when things first started getting very crazy and no one had their masks yet and nobody knew what the rules were they just knew they were scared um there was something very like calming and relaxing about being like well i'm just gonna walk to the creek close to my house and i'm just gonna go get some salad greens and some berries (laughs) and some spices from there and no one else is here it's it's just me, uh, or maybe sometimes just me and my partner and our dog. And it made food having a much less stressful experience this past year than I know it would have been otherwise, which is wonderful. I often, when I see your videos or when I hear about what percentage of your meals are from your foraged food, I feel like your partner really scored. (laughs) I am going to tell him you said that. <laughs> Would he be eating these like incredible, like weird jerkies and fun cookies and like, you know, like, oh, here's this homemade wine and here's like my preserves and all, all this stuff. I mean, I feel like that person, he just won the lottery. Oh, shucks. Well, 
Uh, we have a running joke, except it's not a joke because it's real and it's called the Jeff list. And it's all the things that my partner is willing to eat a second time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I guess I didn't even think about that. Yeah. What's, what's on the Jeff list. Is there anything that's just like, no, not for me, please more for you. So there's some things that are like on the, on the Alexis list that I'm definitely doing again, that are not on the Jeff list. Um, Jeff is in the camp of people who are like a little weirded out by mushrooms. So like mushroom jerky, is not on the Jeff list, but but mushroom jerky is 100% on the Alexis list. And after some some drop-offs on porches, also very much on Jeff's parents list uh, as well, which is which is fun and good. Um, I'm trying to think of the- What, what are his parents up. like? Oh my gosh. So his parents have been big fans of the mushroom jerky and all of its various iterations, both the hen of the woods jerky and the oyster mushroom jerky, which makes my heart happy. Um, anything that's involved, like any of the wild alliums, always goes over well, both of Jeff and his parents. Um, I don't know, with both of our sets of parents, I haven't exposed them to any of the like super crazy 90 to 100% of this dish is forage stuff yet because I am afraid that they'll never want to eat anything foraged again. Like for my family, uh, we we went down to Cincinnati to do this big like social distance outdoor celebration for my sister graduating from college. And I made everybody Juneberry hand pies. And I'm like, no one can hate a Juneberry hand pie. It's literally impossible. Like Juneberries taste like what if blueberries tasted the way you wanted them to every time you decide you have a hankering for blueberries. No hate, no shade blueberries, but they could taste better. Uh, <laughs> and it's a hand pie. Who doesn't love like a flaky pastry with jam in the center? It's, you know, impossible. And so I bring family members things like that. <laughs> Is there anything that you've made that you were like, it's really fun that I got to make this and I'm probably never going to be picking this up again? <laughs> Oh gosh, I say that about acorn flour and then acorn season rolls around again. And then suddenly I'm like, where did the, these 15 pounds of acorns come from? <laughs> Who did this? And does that mean that I now have to crack all of them open? <laughs> I feel and, like you need uh, a squirrel in your employee. Honestly, I'm I'm literally I'm gonna reach behind me. You can't see this folks at home because this is a podcast, but this sound is a bowl of acorns that I still haven't processed yet. <laughs> um we're still working on it. I feel like maybe by spring I will be finished processing all of the acorns that I have brought into this house over the last four months. Well, I feel like, it, you know, if you and Jeff ever just need me to like read a book on Zoom or on tape while you guys just sit on the couch and crack acorns, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Like, Here's I an article. actually love that. There's <laughs> an article I found on Twitter. I don't have time to read it. Could you just kind of give me the highlights? You know, whatever. <laughs> exactly. If you could just read me all of the headlines from the front page of the New York Times today while I just get this done. And, and then he'll be like, who is this person you have on Zoom? That's just... <laughs> And I'll be like, don't question it. It's <laughs> She's making our lives easier. Come on. She just wants to see us get through these acorns. It's very satisfying for her. Um, <laughs> well, so we talked about you going down to the creek and some, and this, I'm, this is the stretch of a segue, but um, I know you've talked before about researching 
where you can walk around and harvest things and forage mm -hmm. things. And this tied into a conversation about trespassing laws and anti-foraging laws. And it turns Ooh, out, yeah. I, I, I was reading an article or like an old scholarly paper about this after I saw you mention it a couple of places. And I was like, oh, is every trespassing law just rooted in racism? Is that why they all even started in the first place? Yes, the answer is yes. <laughs> it seems like the answer is yes. Yeah, and people do not like hearing that, but by and large in the United States, trespassing was not like an arrestable offense until immediately after the Civil War when slaves were freed and suddenly a bunch of very wealthy folks in the South were like, mm, but what if I don't want these folks who I now want to come back to me as sharecroppers so I can continue having cheap labor? What if I don't want them to be able to provide for themselves and their families, both in terms of gathering food and in terms of gathering things to sell? to other people like it was very much a deliberate action to try to cut black and indigenous folks off at the ankles uh, to be able to sustain themselves and become like wealthy members of society and to start building uh, wealth. <laughs> and if you look back, it's really interesting talking to some folks in the UK, especially because their foraging laws, especially on public property, are not very stringent to non-existent. And we had originally inherited that kind of spirit from them when colonists came to the United States. And everyone just kind of thinks that, you know, it's always been trespassing and it's always been bad and it's always been worth, you know, reaching out to law enforcement if you're on land that doesn't belong to you. Uh, but that was not a part of the United States history for like the first, Mm, 260 years uh, of Europeans being here. Uh, and then, of course, if we go back even further than that, I mean. Well, because it's, indigenous it's, people were foraging mm -hmm. and then they were helping colonize or colonizers were like, oh, we'll forage, too. And then at yeah. some point, what happened? Well, at, at some point first, uh, colonizers wanted space. And uh, a lot of times when an oppressive group wants space, the thing that they don't want in their space is the group they're oppressing. Um, so it makes sense to push them out either with force or with legal action. Uh, but the thing that's really unfortunate is, while of course, Native Americans suffered like so much in terms of being displaced and in terms of disease and in terms of getting just the short end of the stick and so many treaties. It wasn't actually illegal for a lot of indigenous folks to be foraging on public land until those laws started coming into place in the 1800s. So it was like two groups getting shafted at the same time. Mm. And it just makes me so upset because so many of those laws persist into the modern day. And a lot of very well-intentioned folks are just like, oh, well, we have those laws to like, you know, keep the, the plants safe and, you know, to keep the populations of those plants safe. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> usually taking away the group of people who were stewarding those, out, those outdoor spaces to begin with 
is not what I would consider protecting those outdoor spaces. Um, in fact, we lost a lot of native plants because a lot of the very deliberate uh, fire setting or a lot of the very deliberate gathering methods that indigenous folks had practiced for centuries that many of them had passed on to uh, enslaved black folks in the South suddenly weren't being done anymore. Um, and it kind of really changed the makeup of a lot of the remaining wild spaces. Uh, yeah, so much well, like many things, racism is at the heart of it. Racism in America, interesting. I, 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 <laughs> I feel surprise. like, I know, I feel like it's one of those things where I, I just had, I had never thought of, when did trespassing laws come to pass? And then I was like, oh, of course. A fucking yep. horse. Oh, and it's an antiquated law that was set up just to oppress people and financially like kneecap them. And now it persists to this day. Okay. Like it just makes sense. I was looking at a video the other day that was about redlining and about how mm -hmm. neighborhoods, I mean, especially in Portland, but yeah, neighborhoods that were redlined where black people were the only people, you know, were, were the only places they were allowed to buy property then also didn't get the investment from the city to plant giant trees that would then keep those neighborhoods cooler. So those mm -hmm. neighborhoods are actually 10 degrees, up to 10 degrees hotter right now during different seasons and are more affected by climate change because they don't have trees to absorb and protect them. Which is just, yeah, it's uh, it all roots back to environmental issues also being race issues. I mean, you, can go back and trace through history and see that uh, black and poor neighborhoods are the ones that are most likely to be near like places where trash is being dumped and are most likely to be near places where heavy industry is plan you know is planning to be. Uh, and everyone always gets really surprised and I'm just like, no, like environmentalism, uh, in my opinion, I'm glad that it's starting to do more for people of color, and I'm glad that people of color are starting to have a, uh, have more seats at the table talking about it, um, because it really does affect our communities in some very, like, sinister, sneaky kind of ways. Yeah. I do want to piggyback off something else you said, too, which is the forest management was a big issue here in Oregon in the fall when all of yeah. Oregon was on fire yeah. and there was a push and I don't actually know where it's at, but there was a push to kind of re-involve tribes, indigenous tribes in Oregon into forest management, like controlled burns and people that were the original stewards of the forests here. I mean, the Pacific Northwest was just nothing, if not tons of tribes of indigenous folks who are, have just been pushed out and, I mean, Portland itself has a nickname Stump Town because it's a clear cut. It's like inside a clear cut where it used to be a forest. And it's, it makes me so sad that a great deal of devastation, a great deal of loss of certain plant species and animal species is what it has taken for some people to wake up and be like, mm, oh, you mean the people who had been taking care of this land for millennia? did know what they were doing? <laughs> what a crazy random happenstance. Who would have guessed? And it's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I will say in the realm of laws pertaining to foraging, slowly but surely you were starting to see, especially national parks be like, oh, well, actually 
it's okay. Like maybe some indigenous folks can gather some of these plants that are important to like cultural touchstones and rights and but even with some of those laws, there's still like so many restrictions around like what can be gathered and how much can be gathered. Um, I know in terms of, oh, I think it was the Great Smoky Mountains National Park was working with the Eastern Band of the Cherokee about gathering, oh, what's the name of the plant? Sochon, I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, but to even get to the point where that was being allowed the tribe had to like front thousands of dollars in order to have like a review done with scientists to prove that they could, that they were allowed to do this essentially without like causing a huge hit to the ecosystem. Of course, the findings then later found out that the method of gathering was actually better for seed dispersal of Sochan. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, just get rid of, just get rid of all of the laws put restrictions in place for things that are on at-risk lists, but just get rid of the, get rid of the laws. Let's just start over. I think it, we're primed to start over. Yeah. I'm behind for, this. Um, in a number of ways for a million different reasons. And listeners, this is going to be vague, but we've got plenty of time at home. Nothing's really opening up for a while. Take it upon yourself to research the laws in your state and your area and see if there's something you can do to change them. You can do the boring work of calling your legislators, like get it, looking at local politics, local council meetings, whatever thing to actually get involved and change some of these old baked into the crust of your town racist rules. Exactly, please do be the thorn in uh, your council people's side, like I am about our parks getting sprayed. There's simply oh. no reason. <laughs> The world is waiting for you. And it's a game-mazing world. I'm Karen Tongson. And I'm Nicole J. Georges. And we're the hosts of The Game-Mazing Race, a new limited series podcast about The Amazing Race, your favorite reality competition show from an LGBTQ point of view. We are going to talk to game-mazing guests, including Oswald Mendez, Team Guido, the Married Lesbian Ministers, and more. Plus, we will learn behind-the-scenes gossip, trivia, we'll talk about gay villains, the closet, archetypes, processing challenges that we just can't forget, and more. And beyond that, you'll also have a game-mazing soundtrack scored by the Kaya Wilson. This music has been described as Enya-esque with druidic energy. So listen to us, The Gay Amazing Race, wherever you get your podcasts. The Gay Amazing Race. The Gay Amazing Race. The Gay Amazing Race. This is a question I have for you, mm -hmm. which is, and I think the answer is just go to a less traveled place. But do you, how do you, as somebody with a tall dog, how do you protect yourself against things that are just soaked in dog pee? <laughs> so the rule that I go into foraging with is if this is, an, if this is a place a dog could pee, a dog has peed here. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's just a really good rule of thumb to use. Uh, it means that a lot of the foraging that I do is usually like not directly say on the path like maybe it's a pace off of it 
foraging immediately after like heavy rainfall also sometimes makes me feel a bit better about that. And I mean, I'm washing everything when I get home and sometimes like that's not a good enough answer for people and then I just have to pull the like what fertilizer do you think the farms that you are buying your food from are using um, because if there's not real urea in them there's synthesized urea in them and if those plants are cleanable why aren't mine I think that that is true and you know there's there's so there's so much there's so much in everything we eat there's so many exactly. like tiny bugs that have crawled inside something and died. Mm -hmm. Everything, especially organic vegetables have been grown in. Like it, yep. We've all seen that terrifying video of the organic strawberries, you know, being put into the salty water and it just being like, ah, a small horde of insects. <laughs> I mean, I, during Oregon strawberry season, Oregon has these delicious wild strawberries that are small and they're the best strawberries on earth. And they make strawberries that you bite into and they're white. It's just like, it's a joke. It's like a joke, non-food compared to these little strawberries. And I, I mean, I'll just, I won't even wash them. I'll just eat them on my way home from the store. And I, who knows? I, maybe I'm not vegan anymore. That's fine. <laughs> I do think about that sometimes because during Juneberry season here in Columbus, I'm just like, I'm sorry, one tenth of everything that I'm gathered is going into my mouth as I'm gathering and I am just accepting the risk. <laughs> I am the little kid from the book Blueberries for Sal, which I read as which I read as a kid. Did you ever read that? Yeah. Where Sal is just like sitting and just eating all the blueberries and then maybe she's joined by a bear or a baby bear. <laughs> yes. Oh man, blueberries for sale. I haven't even thought of that book in eons. That's me right now. I realize <laughs> I must pivot to some listener questions. Yes. Oh, fun fact. Um, blueberries for sale was written by Robert McCloskey, who uh, was like an integral, an integral historical figure at like the summer camp that I grew up going to. <laughs> What like, do you mean? He worked there back like almost a hundred years ago now when he was like a 20 something. What if I um, found out right now that you were timeless, that you were like actually a time <laughs> like, oh, okay, I saw him when I was a kid. He worked there a hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and this is how I'm telling the world. Uh, yep. That's me. Time traveling black forager. I keep just going to the future because the past is so much worse for me. Oh God. <laughs> It's like an Octavia Butler novel. Exactly. <laughs> right down to the acorn flower. Um, this actually segues to a question from friend to the show, Morgan. Who are your favorite teachers? Any subject? Whoa. I've never gotten a question like this before. Whoa. <laughs> I love this question. Okay. So my art teacher at my elementary school, Robin Hartman, who I'm now going to have to tell to listen to this episode because I love her dearly. Definitely one of my favorite teachers. Just the encouragement to think outside of the box and all of the projects that we would ever be working on and <laughs> how accepting she was of like any failures that we did, but like not calling them failure, failures, just like spinning them and being like, okay, well, what can you do 
with this, you know, shoebox haunted house that you're making now that you accidentally got hot glue on it. Maybe you turn that hot glue into spider webs, you know, going uh, across the front of the house. And I, uh, I mean, it was art class, but those are things that you can apply anywhere and everywhere. Uh, so definitely Robin Hartman, <laughs> um, Bill Nye, the science guy. Ooh. Shout out to Bill Nye. We love, uh, we love when education is purposefully engaging. I, uh, I remember watching his videos and I loved my elementary school. Like our classes were really engaging. So his show didn't feel too different from what we were doing in our classes. But then I remember going to public school for junior high and being like, mm, this is not the same. Yeah. I don't know. Bill Nye is just so good at breaking things down into edible little bite-sized pieces that a kid can understand, but an adult can still enjoy. And I think that that is kind of what I try to do with my content too. I to think that extent. you're winning at that. Oh, just so you know, I feel like you are the next Bill Nye, the science guy. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> that. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm simply not worthy of the title. I hope someday to be. And I hope to I, meet Bill Nye someday. That's my freaking dream. I feel like that's so doable. This is doable. Um, <laughs> New I, TikTok I, campaign. Everybody tag Bill Nye in my videos. Tag do Bill Nye. Oh my I just God, tagged he's, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> he's such a sweet old man. Don't bother him. <laughs> I, I feel like anything's possible. Today, I, I tagged somebody from the show Chopped in a comic I did about food. And he wrote back, he was like, oh, wonderful <gasps> illustrations, inspired. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank Wait, you, Ted Allen. Chopped. It was Ted. Yes. Oh my God, I love Ted Allen. <laughs> and I think I didn't even realize he was gay. My partner and I forgot that he was on Queer Eye. And I was like, he's gay. And she was like, no, he's not. And I was like, what kind of woman do you think he dates? And then we just went around her. <laughs> and then finally we found a picture of him with his husband. Oh. Do you watch Chopped? I love, I love Chopped. Chopped is the TV show that I turn to when I'm feeling uninspired with all of the forageables that I bring home because like three episodes in and you're suddenly just like, well, actually I'm going to put this chickweed and this acorn oil together with a little bit of milkweed vinegar to make a very, a very fancy vinaigrette. And it's just like, it just reminds you that a lot of different kinds of food exist and that there are a lot of different ways to interpret them. I freaking love Chopped. Oh my God. Chef Alexis, I appreciated what you did with the oyster mushroom bacon, but <laughs> I felt like the pine needle cookie didn't completely mesh with this dish and the flavors kind of got lost for me. <laughs> Yeah, it feels like you were trying to tell two different stories with the dish that you put in front of us today. The plating was beautiful. Um, a baby squirrel did crawl out of the pine cone that you set on my plate, but you know, it added a fun ambiance. <laughs> if this happened in a restaurant, you know, I'd be elated. It adds to the experience. <laughs> oh my God. I also love a fellow vegan watching Chopped. There, there are certain episodes, like they did one with baby Ooh. goats the other day where I had to look like, like fetal yep. goats, full body yep. that I had to just cover. I had to just, just look away until whatever was done was done. Until it was over. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't, I mean, most of us didn't grow up vegan, 
Um, but I was vegetarian for most of my childhood. But even so, <laughs> this is so funny looking back on. No one give my parents hate for this. But I like went to culinary camp as an eight-year-old. And so like once a week, maybe, I would be responsible for either like a side dish or a main dish of dinner for my whole family. Um, Cause they were just like, oh, you're good at doing this. Cool. You're in the rotation now. Have fun. We have jobs. You don't. And as a high schooler who was no longer eating meat, having my mom being like, can you just do those salmon fillets the way that you do them for the three of us? And being like, I'm not going to taste it to make sure that I did a good job, but I will do it the same way that I've been doing it for years. And I hope it turns out the way you want it to. You already bought them. So yes, I guess I will wrap them in tin foil and put the right oils and spices in there. And I just remember thinking like, ah, oh, this is weird, but you know. I, I've thought about that watching Chopped once, watching a vegetarian chef make something and be like, I, I once I got a job at a coffee shop and the owner yelled at me. She was like, how can you cook if you cannot taste? Because she wanted to me to make this stew that just she was married to the idea of chicken stock. And I was oh. like, I'm a, I'm a teenage vegan. I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to try it. And yeah, and then she was like, she yelled at me. So I, I commend your ability to actually make something edible that you couldn't taste for other people. And it's only because I had tasted it previously and was like, I'm generally aware of the way that this should look and smell to be the way that it was before. Can I ask you, do you have go-to, do you have go-to ingredients or go-to flavor profiles that you put in or sauces that you put in jerky and or bacon when you turn your different mushrooms and things or carrots? 100%. So for me, the three things that are going in regardless of anything else in the flavor the flavor profile olive oil or any other kind of neutral oil just to keep the mushrooms still a little a little bendy uh once they have gone into the dehydrator to kind of desiccate the rest of that liquid out so that's step one and a thing that i feel like people forget pretty often uh number two is soy sauce I'm willing to budge on that for any other kind of like fermenty, koji, uh, exposed kind of umami source. Like I, I could also see just like adding a miso paste in as well, if you're not necessarily kicking it with soy sauce for whatever reason. And then my personal favorite, I put it in too many things, is my smoked hickory bark syrup. Um, because it checks the box of both the liquid smoke and the maple syrup that I would encourage people to add otherwise. And that's what I encourage people to add to take its place in the recipe. Um, but those three things are the foundation that I build everything else on top of. And then on top of that, you know, maybe it'll be a, you know, cracked black pepper. So a ton of black pepper will go in or, you know, maybe it'll be focusing more teriyaki. So then the soy sauce gets upped and then, you know, the smoked hickory syrup goes in, but a little bit of pineapple juice goes in too. Like it varies. But uh, yeah, those are my my three suggestions. I am really jealous of this syrup. It sounds delightful. I can send you some. Do you want me to send you some? Yes, please. <laughs> I'm happy to do any kind of art book drawing swap of anything with you. I love edible things. I love tasting things on the podcast. I love just eating things in my life. I will be thrilled. Yay. Okay. I will get your address and I will mail you a jar. And if you want to make it yourself, I can also mail you some hickory bark so you get the whole experience. 
Oh my God. Yes. And yes. And both. And what? A, yes. <laughs> anything. Um, here's a question from friend to the show, Beth Ditto, who introduced us. I'm very thankful for, I wrote to her and I was like, will you please introduce me to Alexis? Because I am dying to talk to her. She says, when does Alexis sleep? Because her content is put together and consistent. They're not just posts. They're like mini episodes complete with solid jams, lyrics by her, music played by her and performed. If I tried to make content like that, I would have to spend six hours just trying to figure out how to post it. Such good taste. How long does that take her? That From is... Beth. What a literal earth angel. How dare Beth be caring about me so deeply? <laughs> Beth, you're too nice. Cut that out. Don't cut it out. It's fantastic. And thank you. Um, mm, vulnerability moment. I'm probably not sleeping right now as much as I should be uh, just because I do have a full-time job uh, that does require 40 and sometimes more hours of my time each week. Uh, but I am also still like very dedicated to putting out at least two videos a week, which then, you know, requires the shooting and the editing and the captioning. And then, you know, I have an edit for TikTok and an edit for IGTV and an edit for Twitter and on IGTV. I'm just very married to the idea of just like establishing where I am like headspace wise. So then I always have my little like baby essays that I write to accompany everything that I post. But yeah, uh, to answer the question very simply, uh, I am sleeping, I could be sleeping more. If you see me answering things on Instagram at like midnight, like don't, don't be afraid to be a deer and tell me to go to sleep because I should go to sleep. Uh, I, I love what I do and I also love the people that it's given me the opportunity to talk to and sometimes I just get like so focused on providing something that I think is valuable um, and then if you see me disappear for a week it's because I burned myself out <laughs> and I'm resting and I'm hiding from everyone and everything. <laughs> How You told me that you just tried to edit down that kind of giant thought and knowledge base around racist trespassing laws into a 60 second video you're, I think that you're such a good editor too. Thank you. Oh my well, gosh. Well, these, these things that you're, you know, you're tackling things that are pretty big, like pretty big knowledge bases that you probably did a fair amount of reading and then lived experience, uh, you know, foraging around and tasting and knowing and just living in. Um, and then you're, you're distilling things down really, really well. And Thank I don't know if that's so, I mean, more of a comment than a from, question. <laughs> it's just from practicing. Um, I mean, I, I also studied theater in college, so I knew how to set things up from like a playwriting standpoint. I know how to like identify beats when you're trying to tell a particular story. And in a way, you know, all of my videos are like doing the exact same thing that I was doing when I was like writing plays. It's just very tiny, very condensed. You like, you know the points you need to hit, you know what the beginning looks like, you know what the end looks like, and then it's just making everything in the middle make sense. 
Um, but in terms of like the video editing, so much of that has been trial and error, seeing what does resonate with people, uh, seeing what does not resonate with people and just learning from other content creators. Sometimes I'll see an edit and I'll be like, oh, I like that. I like that. And I want to edit something like that too, which is weird because I never really stopped to think think about that. And now I'll just be like watching food television and be like, oh, I really like the way that they cut from this moment to that moment. I'm writing that down so I can think about that the next time I'm editing. That's so cool. I, at some point I started taking on the term lifelong learner, which somebody said this a long time ago, I, I would teach zines and comics in the schools to kids and at a professional development, they were like, we're lifelong learners. And at the time I was like a punk 21 year old. I was like, give me a break. I know everything I need to know about zines. And I just, now I've really, as I encroach upon middle age, I'm really, I'm really like into that. I'm like, I, I heard Eileen Miles, the poet say before a poem can always be leaner and meaner. And I feel like the same, like with comics or with writing or with anything, like if it's worth saying, you can say it in less words. And if you're good enough at writing and at the thing you're doing, you can get a lot, you can pack a lot of meaning into that small amount of space. Yeah. I mean, Oh gosh, I don't know if I ever even gave my third favorite teacher, but I had like uh, an English teacher, my AP English teacher, my senior year, Dr. Bard, um, who was really good at challenging me to do that. And I feel like I still hear her voice in my head sometimes when I'm like plotting out the things that I want to say. And I'm just like, actually, I was really married to saying this, but that's not adding anything to the narrative. And just condensing is a real art form. Um, and I'm not amazing at it. I just... I have to do it for the format that I present a lot of my content in. Um, but continuing to like learn forever. Yeah, I feel you when I first got out of college, I was just like, I'm done. Like <laughs> I'm done. I took all my classes. I, I'm never gonna use physics or differential equations and I'm probably never gonna use my screenwriting classes either. <laughs> And I, and I, I didn't want to go back to school. I wanted to get as far away from academia as possible. And now as I'm approaching 30, I'm just like, Ooh, I really miss learning on a regular basis. And I miss kind of learning in a structured setting. And I miss learning alongside other people mm. the most. Um, learning is so cool. There's always more information out there, which is simultaneously really overwhelming, but really exciting and invigorating to me. Um, and with plants, like I'm never going to know every plant. And I know that and I have to remind myself of that sometimes. Um, but what's the harm in trying, you know? I love the idea of you trying to learn as many plants as you can within your lifetime. This is an off the wall question that somebody asked. Can you name your top three favorite Rue girls? Do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? This is from someone named Donna Van Jesse. Oh my gosh. Top three. Okay. I, I'm sitting here next to, I'm sitting here next to my auto harp. So for my auto harp alone, the first person who I have to say is, uh, is Trixie Mattel. And you're out. I'm also in like, I'm in pink fringe. Right now, I'm like in a Patsy Klein jacket. I have to say Trixie Mattel uh, as my number one, uh, first and foremost. I am 
in love with everything that Shea Coulee does. Just absolutely everything. I <laughs> one of the one of the queens who I follow both from my personal Instagram and from my foraging Instagram because I just don't want to miss anything. And because it's like pertinent right now, I don't know, by the time this episode comes out, she might not still be in the running, but I am obsessed with Olivia Lux this season. I think she's gonna I, I think go far. She's a dark horse. I think she's a dark horse and I love her. I think she's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I love her eye for fashion. So there are three. They're not my only three. Uh, but this question is hard. It is hard. <laughs> I I was trying to think. I was like, who is I mean, I really, I really love Tamisha Iman. Yes. I love I mean, the last epi- I don't know when will this will come out in relation to Untucked and Drag Race. <laughs> But her just being like, I, I am a grown ass woman <laughs> yes. just yelling during Untucked. I don't know if she's long for this world. I don't think she's going to win, but I'm very happy to see her on the show. Same. Simone, I think, is going to go all the way to the top. Yeah. Simone is the one who, like, I love Olivia Lux, but if I had to, like, place a monetary bet for whatever reason, Simone is absolutely who I would be betting on. And whenever I go and I'm trying to show, if, I, if I'm ever like, ooh, I want to feel invigorated by a lip sync, I like watching Alyssa Edwards lip syncs. <laughs> yeah, yes. Talk about just a lively performer. Though I will say Denali this season has really been bringing it with the very engaging performances. Um, oh my gosh. And she just posted like an ice skating video to when I grow up and I just watch it when I'm having a bad day. I just watch it when I'm having a bad day. Can you believe that she danced in ice skates on that slippery stage? I cannot. So Jeff is usually in the room while I'm watching Drag Race, but typically doing other things. And so he'll kind of tune in and out as, you know, things get interesting and in his opinion, less interesting. And he could not look away. He's like, oh, no, I absolutely need to see the way that this is going to play out. It's like, yeah, you and me both. Is an ankle going to get broken today? Like, what's going to happen? Well, I was imagining her just busting up that stage. I mean, I'm surprised (laughs) she didn't even have the little plastic things on that you see like Nancy Kerrigan put on at the end of the Olympics performance. (laughs) Just, I'm so, I'm so impressed with Denali as well. Just what a kick butt performer. She is a kick butt performer. Okay, we have a few more questions. Yeah. Brianne Jeanette wants to know, what is a wild ingredient you are dying to try? A bucket list item. Oh, bucket list item. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of things that are either like further south or in like out west that I don't get to use very often. Let me think. Oh, okay. So when we say mugwort, there there are like two different artemisias that people are typically talking about in the United States, depending on where you are. So over here, uh, I'm usually talking about Artemisia vulgaris, uh, just, you know, uh, sweet baby common mugwort, but there's a California mugwort. And I see um, Pascal Bodar using it all the time in his foraged foods, and I want to try it. I want, I want to try it. It's probably not crazy different. They're both Artemisias, but I want to try it. And I want to just, I want to be able to go and forage it. Mm. So maybe the next time I am out West. Oh my God. I mean, when the world opens up, however it does, please, wherever I am, California or Oregon, I'm so 
happy to pick you up at the airport, preferably Burbank Airport. Uh, everyone on the show <laughs> knows I get LAX. And, and, but, you know, I understand people do what they have to do. They have to go to LAX. Sometimes they have to experience it for themselves. But I'm happy to drive you to any weird, far-flung place and just... You sweet angel. Forge, and then I could sketch the plants or draw the plants while you do your sniff tests or patch tests or tree tree climbing I'm or... so down for this oh my gosh okay it's happening this We're is a real it now this is verbal a real agreement verbal agreement and i will not fly into lax because if i never fly into lax again i will still have been in that building for too much of my life oh so you already know this specific hell that is lax yes <laughs> um, I forgot to ask you a really important thing, which is about ethical Ooh. consumption, which you talk about a lot, like knowing how many to take from what, and then not stealing from bees. Yep. So with ethical consumption, you have to do your research before you set out to gather anything, honestly. Like you should also, you should always be doing your research regardless, but there are definitely some species. If you're in my neck of the woods, like do your research about common milkweed before you go out and gather. Um, if you're going out and gathering, it better be from a huge stand of milkweed so you know that you taking a couple umbels of flowers is not going to be causing any kind of duress to the monarch population, which is under duress enough already as is. And like that is what their caterpillars eat, is milkweed. So you don't wanna be taking it away from them which is why, while I love milkweed shoots as a veggie, I get my fix from like milkweed flowers or milkweed flower buds, or even sometimes some of the seed the uh, seed pods before the silks set. Um, so long as the plant has more than one set of seed pods that it's setting at any given time. Uh, because when you cut off a shoot first thing in the spring, well, that's the whole plant. That's the potential that that entire plant was going to be putting up that whole spring, summer into the fall. And uh, to me, that's just not worth it. But if you have like a field in your backyard, that's all milkweed. I mean, by all means, because they're, they're slowly going to approach your house otherwise, if you are not gathering up some of those shoots every year. Um, another one is ramps. And I mm -hmm. am very passionate about Allium trichocum that, uh, there are two different variations. One of the variations is already on a lot of different watch lists going down the Eastern seaboard, moving into the Appalachian mountains. And they are very trendy in the food scene, especially in New York City and in Chicago right now. And are they good? Yes, but they're just an allium, like an onion or a leek or a shallot. Like they're definitely not worth decimating a population over and they have a very long life cycle. It can take, you know, usually around five years, but as long as seven years for them to reach sexual maturity before they're able to like make flower and make their own seeds and, you know, have a shot at creating new offspring. And if you're pulling up a bulb, even if it's already two years old, well, that potential's gone, you know, that bulb that could have put eight or nine seeds back into the earth a couple of years down the line is now never gonna get the chance. And when you're only taking a couple of them that one time a year, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it adds up over time. And you have to take into consideration the other people who will come out and forage behind you. So I would definitely advise if folks are wanting to get into foraging, doing a little bit of research 
into what's plentiful in your area because those are the things that maybe you can be a little bit more greedy, a little grabby with. Like if you have garlic mustard in your area, uh, just pick all of it. No one's going to be mad at you for getting rid of garlic mustard uh, because it's horrible and it's everywhere and it spreads super easily. But if you're in an area like me with a population of ramps, thankfully in Ohio, while our numbers are decreasing, they're not decreasing at a rate that's like scaring anybody yet, but they could. And a lot of new people started foraging in the last year because there's nothing else to do. And for those ones, it's like, hey, don't dig up the bulbs. If you absolutely need to use it, like only collect a leaf and only collect a leaf from a plant that has two or more leaves. And only if it's in a large patch, like give that plant a fighting chance at continuing to photosynthesize through the rest of its season so it can store that energy away for next year. There's a lot to take into consideration. There isn't really one set rule across the board for everything except do your research. Do your research, everybody. I, I appreciate how much you care about the plants' life cycles and the animals that are attracted to the plants. Yeah. And people because should- we all are, we're all intrinsically connected. Um, you know, someone getting the rug pulled out from all of them eventually affects all of us. Um, so yeah, be nice to your local creatures and critters. <laughs> they are helping you in ways that you don't even know. Possums eat ticks. I don't like ticks. Lyme disease is awful. Jeff got it last year while we were foraging. Oh, uh, no. Everyone's just a part of a big part of the circle. We're all connected. What if you had like a team that went with you foraging and it included like a squirrel for acorn gathering? It had a possum for tick maintenance. You had your dog who you've trained to sniff something. May or may not be truffles. I don't know who else you have along with you, but you just have this little kind of foresty, you're, you're a little Snow White sort of, you know, you have somebody a perch your finger there so you can all go forage together. I should tell people that you are wearing these beautiful outfits while you're foraging all the time. And something I really appreciate is all the clothes that you wear in your TikTok videos. And I noticed that we both are ardent fans of this weirdo LA fashion company called Fashion Brand Company. <laughs> Her clothes make me laugh so much. Same here. They make me laugh and then immediately make me want to put the clothes onto my body. And anyone who can do that is an artist that I want to support forever and ever and ever. The end. <laughs> She's and I such love, a true weirdo. Such a true weirdo. And I love that we're both rocking our fashion brand company, our FBC right now. I'm sad that people like can't see it because we are truly fabulous right now. I'm loving okay. it. Last question. Are there any questions that you wish people would ask you that they don't? Hmm. Or is oh, there anything man. else you want people to know about you? I feel like a question that I no, I guess I get that pretty frequently. I was going to be like, oh, people don't always ask me what like their first forageable should be. Oh, and you know what? I will answer. That. Yes. So onion grass, AKA field garlic, I'm like not one, now it's like one of the few living things that's up if you are experiencing true winter, like we are in the Midwest. I went for a walk today and it is poking up even through our uh, couple inches of snow. So it is definitely out there. 
But my favorite one to suggest to people is wood sorrel. A lot of people conflate them with clovers. They have the cute little heart-shaped leaves and the tiny yellow flowers. Uh, they taste like lemon heads. Like I, we used to call them nature's lemon heads at camp growing up. And we would just eat them just right off of the side of the trails as we were going to and from like the river to go canoeing and like heading back to our cabin. And that one's really fun. And it's also really easy to teach kids. Uh, that was one of the earlier ones that I learned too. And I think fostering that kind of cautious curiosity and then maintaining it into your adulthood uh, is very important. And it makes the world continue to feel full of wonder uh, into your older years. I say, as I'm like all of 28 years old. <laughs> I have a cautious curiosity. <laughs> I'm a lifelong learner with a cautious curiosity. Is, it, is that different than lemon balm? Yes. Yes, it is. Lemon balm is a different plant. Okay. Wonderful. Because that's Great something question. that grows in abundance in Portland yards is lemon balm. So good too. Tea is made out of it. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Oh my gosh. Alexis, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. This was so much fun. I'm really so excited to be in your universe, to have you in my universe, to know that you're in the universe. And I know listeners, a lot of different listeners were like, oh, I'm so excited. I love her. I love her stuff. And that made me very, very happy to talk oh, to you. Shucks. We eat weird vegan stuff all the time. And it's not even the stuff that you're trying is wholesome. And it's, it's only weird because people have been disconnected from the world around them. Exactly. It's weird, but it's the free kind of weird, which a lot of times the fun, weird vegan stuff is actually very expensive. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.